Hi folks, just a content warning before we start. This episode has mentions of climate anxiety, mental health and eating disorders. If you're impacted at all with anything in this chat, please do see some links in the description. Thank you. Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. This podcast is sponsored by the World Energy and Meteorology Council, or WEMSI for short. WEMSI is an international organisation focused on weather and climate data to support energy transition, and we also work with educators. WEMSI have created TEAL, an easy-to-use, free visualisation tool that enables you to explore climate variables for the past 70-plus years. Get started at tealtool.earth. Find us at WEMCouncil.org and follow us on Twitter at WEMCouncil. Hi everybody and welcome to Coffee and Geography and today I've got a double special helping for you because I'm joined by two wonderful guests. I'm joined by Caroline and Rebecca. Good evening to you both. Good evening. Good evening. So, um, because I've got both two of you here, rather than everybody droning with my voice, droning around, let's get you to introduce yourselves. Um, So let's start with Caroline. Caroline, please introduce yourself. Okay, I'm Caroline Fernandez, and I've been, uh, I'm a um, coordinator of a project called Sustain, which uh, part of it is working with the UEA on climate anxiety. Yeah, uh, so UEA is the University of East Anglia. And that's, uh, you've heard that a lot, folks, because you know that that's where I work. I've got a lot of connections with. And uh, you, you say here that you are a food grower, an environmentalist, and chirpy ex-Londoner living in Norfolk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So a bit, a bit like me. Then. Yeah, so, so I, well, I'm from Harlow in Essex, but my dad's from the eastern of London. So I'm kind of like Cockney-Essex hybrid. I don't know if that's good or bad. so yeah and uh, caroline is the eldest of eight siblings and loves to travel the world through food loves speaking german and has family in india we thank you caroline rebecca please do introduce yourself wow i didn't know that about you caroline eldest of eight wow um (laughs) i'm rebecca nester and i'm with the climate psychology alliance and we do a lot of work on climate anxiety and generally on the uh, the psychology, the social psychology of people's responses to the climate and ecological crisis. And um, I lead for the CPA on climate cafes, which is one of the things we do to support people with climate anxiety, but also to kind of normalise talking about the climate crisis. Yeah, I will definitely will talk about those climate cafe stuff. Um, but it also says here, you did miss one thing out, and it says here that you live in Oxford and you regularly splash around in the Thames. Oh, I do. I do. I mean, it's like it's it's filthy, of course, but we have just <laughs> got um, bathing status for the bit of the Thames that I swim in, which oh. is essentially meaningless as far as I can tell. It means <laughs> that there'll be monitoring of it for the next 10 years and then maybe they might start making it cleaner, possibly. Who knows? Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if people say about the Thames, the first thing that doesn't come to mind is swimming in it. <laughs> but it's cleaner in Oxfordshire than it is in London, isn't it? Yeah, yeah cleaner and smaller. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it is. A, yeah. It is a lovely thing to swim in. You just have to not think about what might be in it. It is absolutely <laughs> glorious. You know, um, uh, birds and uh, you know geese and ducks and um, um, other swimmers and rowers and people fishing. It's um, it's a massive community, really. Oh, nice. I used to live on on the on the Thames in Berkshire as well, so oh, I didn't really nice. swim in it that much. I've only really got into swimming um, the last couple of years. But I swim in the River Bure and the River Waveney and the sea. Yeah, the River Waveney. River Waveney, just just a stone's throw from my house right here in South Norfolk, yeah. and um, yeah, it's. Uh, the only the closest I've been to the Thames in terms of getting my feet wet was, uh, you know, the little when the when the the tidal bit of the Thames and the tides out and they got the beaches like come, you just can go down those kind of like ladders 
and just oh, kind of like paddle on the beach, yeah. do things like that. And then uh, as the sea, as you see the river start rising, right, that's it, back up there, don't get your feet. <laughs> so my, I just remember my dad going, don't touch the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, what, and what on earth is being washed up onto those little beaches as well in London? Yeah, let's not think about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, that's lovely that we've got that thing in common. I mean... Uh, with the with the River Thames there, it's amazing how, how uh, something like a, a physical feature like a river can actually um, connect people in such a way. And uh, for one thing, you know, I've been talking to so many guests now. One thing that I realised that, and we'll come to this a bit later, no doubt, we'll talk about climate anxiety and whatnot, is, is how you know the human society and our cultures are just becoming more disconnected to nature, and and we're we're connections through things like we're doing right now like through digital screens rather than connections through a river or through a mountain range or yeah and it seems a bit of a shame mm, absolutely um so i'm gonna go to do you two have a drink with you this because i know it's quite late and some people don't usually have a drink with them but we usually talk about our brews and if you have something with you or or what your uh, your usual tipple is is that just water then rebecca it's um it's water with a bit of lemon juice squeezed into it and it's in a Cambridge Folk Festival mug or beer glass from um nineteen ninety seven. Probably before you, you two were born. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I was I was I was I would have been a, I was in I would have been in year ten in nineteen ninety seven. So I would have been fourteen, fifteen. What about yourself, Caroline? Um I would have been older than that <laughs> i was actually referring to if you got a drink with you, <laughs> you oh, right. <laughs> um, i finished my drink but i had um i had um at this time of the evening i drink fresh mint and le- lemon balm from my garden nice yeah good mix mix of just a few sprigs of mint some lemon balm and hot water it's very nice there, there is something funny going on you're, you're See, this is the third chat out of the last four where mint has been drunk. So that's Hi. just bizarrely coincidence. This is you, 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 you folks. The th- well, let me think. Fifty first or something conversation I've had, but three of the last four they've all mentioned something to do with mint. So <laughs> that's another coincidence. Yeah, uh, Shanique Harris talked about because she has family in Jamaica she says every time she goes to see her family in Jamaica she brings up over a stash of mint from Jamaica so like this really kind of strong Jamaican mint um and who was the other person and I think it was Esther a couple of episodes ago my friend Esther who also uh, lives in Norfolk um she says yeah she loves getting fresh mint tea and just just from the garden and brewing it up as well so it's mint season <laughs> that makes me realize that my mint hasn't um hasn't arrived yet this year that must be because mm. of the, the 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 kind of weird um kind of up and down weather we've been having with um with, with no water for ages and ages and ages um and yeah. then these damages um it, i'm going to go it I has been where, exceptionally dry yeah i'm just wondering whether the mint is hiding somewhere else i'm going to go and have a look when we finish <laughs> Nice little saunter into the garden, and you can you can have a look for some slugs and snails while you're out there as well. That won't be difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's it really has been a strange. I mean, it, well, what 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 is strange anymore when it comes to the weather and the climate? I mean, um, I mean, yesterday, for example, with my personal weather station, I know it's not an official, um, uh, an official gauge of temperature because it's a personal weather station, but uh, my thermometer outside uh, registered. Uh, sorry, not yesterday, the day before yesterday, 33.6 degrees Celsius. That is just off the top of my head, 92 degrees Fahrenheit for any folks who run up work in Fahrenheit. I, that was too much for me. Mm. That, that, that was that very hit. hot, wasn't it, that day, yeah. Friday, yes. It was, 30, it was 31 in the shade, just the, yeah. And it was 50, 50 in my uh, conservatory. Oh my goodness. It's gone off. It's gone off the scale in the conservatory. Actually. Oh my goodness me! Yeah. What about what about in Oxford, Rebecca? I mean, did the heat hit you a lot there? Yes, it did. Um, but I think what I've been feeling so far this year is um, uh, bring it on because um, there's been so little warmth, 
Um, mm. And then this week, suddenly it was beginning to get warmer. And then Friday, it was a bit overwhelming. But um, yeah. I, kind of, I kind of need three or four more days of that sort of temperature before I start to think, um, you know, please, can we have what used to be, what used to pass for normal? Because um, I just, I do love heat. And I kind of feel that, mm. oh, I don't know, I feel like I've been kind of... Um, uh having to having to keep keep myself warm with my clothes for too long it's it's, it's yeah. such a fascinating thing to discuss because for me yesterday for example i was you know and for a lot of people it's it's you know heat makes me suffer quite a fair bit and um my hay fever gets absolutely terrible um and my my body just shuts down i get too fatigued and and i can't can't call, no matter what i try and do and because the heat continued to build up yesterday, uh, it continued to build up into the evening as well, which was incredible. Like by the time that the, it started to cool down outside, it got up to 27 degrees Celsius in the house. And this house is usually pretty good at keeping itself cool. And I I'm suppose we're segueing into, into a part of what we're going to talk about next. But um, and I'm really, really nervous that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 40 years of age this year. And already I'm starting to suffer in heat that's north of 30 degrees Celsius. And of course, with what we know is going to come it's quite scary and frightening to think how much more uncomfortable that is going to become and i'm not yet in the most vulnerable of age groups um so i guess that I guess that leads on to exactly one of the things we we're talking about and so just a little bit of um a little bit of um context for everybody um so you've heard uh, especially caroline talk about uh, the university of east anglia and and uh, rebecca's helping out as well and that is to do with the UEA's uh, Climate of Change um, program, which is absolutely fantastic. I'll put a link in the description. Um, it's it's all about not just informing people about climate change and the climate science and things like that, but like taking action, having agency, feeling empowered about doing something about it. Um, and one of the things that they're doing is to try and address eco-anxiety, uh, climate anxiety. Um, and both you folks have been involved in that. Um, which has been absolutely amazing. So we're just going to say hi to Freddie Reynolds at the University of East Anglia, who got us in touch. So hi, Freddie, my colleague from UEA. Um, and yeah, eco-anxiety. So Carol, um, Caroline, let's start with you first. What do, what do, you, what do you take to be eco-anxiety, climate anxiety, and, and how does it manifest in you? How does it feel for you? Hmm. Uh... Um, the project came about because there were a lot of people or increasing numbers of people coming to Norfolk and Waveney Mind who I work for um, with climate anxiety where they're very concerned about the future concerned maybe not to have um, feeling very anxious um, asking for counselling being confused about what to do um, or, or feeling unable to do things or feeling very guilty about not being able to do enough maybe um and maybe not wanting to have children because thinking there's no, no future for them um so that's where the partly where this um course has come from uh also there at the university there's for example um there is a lot of information about what is what is going to happen and it's a natural reaction to feel anxious and nervous about this um and have all sorts of feelings, um, but there wasn't any necessary for young people. There wasn't anywhere for them to go for support or to discuss that with each other or um, to to what to do with those feelings. I guess so. That's where the, this this um, project has come from. So it's been for me. I have um, uh, I was a, I was previously, I suppose, uh, a campaigner on climate change quite a few years ago when I worked for Women's Environmental Network and then I gradually um and it felt like nobody was doing anything at that time apart from us maybe but um but now I'm glad that it is people are talking about it um but it doesn't feel like we're doing enough necessarily but this is you know this is what we're offering is a chance to discuss that in a supportive way what your feelings are and uh, we're offering these climate cafes where you can that are based on the um, the death the death model of, of a death cafe where it can oh, be quite okay. taboo to talk about feelings of, of 
grief after death um and there were these cafes where which set up for for that so this climate cafes are to 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 talk about this inconvenient truth it is it's going on and what we can how we can feel and how we can deal with those emotions acknowledge them say yeah actually it's a natural reaction um and get support from each other and not necessarily say this is what you have to do now because i think there's already a lot of uh information and organizations that are giving action um that we can be doing but just saying actually let's not judge each other let's talk about it and talk about our feelings anyway so um i don't know if that answers your question <laughs> oh I, it's that's incredible i mean to, two things come to mind as you were speaking there one was the fact that i i feel anyway as someone who has been open about their mental health issues yeah um, i i'm on medication for depression um you know i suffer very strong bouts of gender dysphoria so i talk about that quite a lot and one of the reasons why i feel able to do that is because i definitely feel that especially over the last decade or so that the stigma around mental health has has not gone away completely but it's it's not as bad as it used to be um now do you think that people um from your point of view anyway that that you're able to have these conversations you're able to you know take the the death cafe model to a extent and apply it to kind of because of because have you seen less stigma around mental health nowadays caroline um i, I guess so. i suppose that's it we are looking for less stigma around uh mental health and saying this isn't a mental health issue necessarily or it's not an individual's issue it's uh yeah that we we're trying to destigmatize that um but um i suppose we are people are talking more about mental health in uh in general than maybe when i was younger i guess so yeah yeah i think we are more able to talk about i suppose when i was a teenager you know there i mean people have come to me and said when i was a teenager we didn't have anything like that we didn't have that support or we didn't have we didn't talk about our mental health um and it would have been useful or whatever so there were some who were saying yeah it was it was um some of them were saying uh you know nuclear um war was one of the things we were you know the young That's people what I remember like, that yep <laughs> yeah and saying um that actually really you know my sister-in-law was saying you know she she didn't want to tell anybody because she thought they they wouldn't they wouldn't take it seriously but she was really seriously anxious about nuclear war you know that kind of thing so um i suppose yeah it is uh it's something for us, especially young people and it's been great being working with the university with students from the university um who are so articulate and aware and some of working in climate the climate change um or international development and aware of climate injustice and all this kind of thing but actually also they didn't have anywhere to go with those feelings necessarily and there was a sort of a um a silence around you know it's you just get on with that academic world and somehow just keep going and it's almost not talked about really maybe i don't know they call it climate balance don't they yeah um, well, it's complicated, isn't it? Because um, if we if we say climate distress or climate anxiety or eco anxiety is a is a natural response, um, it sounds like we're saying we, we don't think it's important or we don't think it, it we, we're not interested in in people's um, people's suffering and people are really suffering with these feelings. Um, but what we, I think what we mean by that is that um, it's a, a lot of the individual reaction comes from what you might call the system around us. So, and, and I, I don't know, but I wonder if there are parallels with gender dysphoria. You know, we, we grow up in a society which assumes 
a kind of binary setup of there's, there's women and there's men and there's little girls and there's little boys and there's puppy dogs tails and all things nice and and something you have to be one or the other and that is extraordinarily pressurizing and and difficult for many people and similarly we, we we're all in in a society now which is kind of saying don't worry nothing's the matter everything can carry on as normal um and it doesn't it doesn't matter that um no action is being taken. It is not a. It is not a problem, and that makes people feel that somehow the problem is them. Um, and this is that's incredibly painful, I think. And and it's for the kind of psychology I I work within, which is um, uh, partly eco psychotherapy, but also um, kind of psychoanalytically informed, says, well, actually, what that what's going on there a lot of the time is collectively we can't quite bear to think about this stuff, and so we locate all the distress in other people in people who've got um a a, a clearer concern for the climate and so we kind of say oh there's something you know you're really worried about this aren't you and um i'm sorry you feel so bad about it and we kind of assume that it's it's that individual's issue when in fact it's a collective one but it's being largely denied Um, and this is not about climate denial in the traditional sense it's about People can't bear it, and so they try not to think about it. And they they say it's uh, it's 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 the problem of the person who is acknowledging it. I find it fasc- It's fascinating what you said, Rebecca, about you know when you when you said I don't know, you know, when your experience with gender dysphoria, how similar or how different that I never really thought about it in that way before, to be honest. Um, I do I suffer from climate anxiety, eco anxiety. Yes, but I am exceptionally good at dealing with it. Um, but I don't know exactly why. I don't know if it's because I am very knowledgeable about climatology and I've got a very deep understanding of how it all works and and you know, and I'm very attuned to, you know, all you mentioned about like the system and, and like what is what we can do, but also what we as individuals can't do. I I'm at peace with that. Um, I'm very active. I'm a, I'm a climate activist. I do everything I can. We've got a carbon neutral house. We have solar panels, electric car and all that kind of stuff. Um, but maybe it's not all that, you know, I do work to empower people through the work that I do. And I do deliver workshops on climate anxiety, turning into agency and things like that. And there's one thing I'll talk about in a moment, but I never really thought about it. It really is because I've had this experience of dealing with things like gender dysphoria maybe that has equipped me in some way shape or form to I don't know I'm gonna to have to reflect on that a little bit more I think that's really, really intriguing to hear what you you what you think about that because yeah. it's not it's it, in you know it's <laughs> I find myself like I'm about to say something like uh, it's the the equivalent of saying uh, I don't have climate anxiety it's like I don't have gender dysphoria but I probably do you know um, yeah, even example. though I might not have been aware of it, and maybe it's the bringing it to the consciousness that you've had to do that 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 helps yeah. helps you to apply it in other contexts. I don't know. I mean, that's that's for you to say. I have a lot of you know we're we're a, obviously we're a very very queer friendly podcast, and so I know I've got a lot of queer friends, family, people listening, folks. Do do tag us on Twitter or something like that. You no, know, tell us how you feel. You know about this. This is really really intriguing. Um, good friend bro proctor uh who works for you stem you know they're keen about this kind of stuff you know ro let us know how you feel about it uh eli ramos um all these folks um another person i'd like to have a shout out to as well is an ex-student of mine is uh johanna uh bonilla allard who i talked to last season for episode 18 and the one the foot and and one that we talked about her climate anxiety because one of the first things she did to get in contact with me after she had left school a few years afterwards was said I'm really dealing with this quite badly and do you have any advice for me so it really is going on it really is out there um but that's definitely some food for thought there's a thing that I, I just wanted to go back to as well which is this this connection between um uh anxiety and agency and action um that I think people often make and i think it's um it can be really it can be really helpful and there is also some value sometimes in keeping those things separate um one mm-hmm. of the things i find in climate cafes which 
I think, segueing into, is that if you can say to people, look, we're not actually here to talk about climate action. We're here to focus on you and your feelings and what and and really try to find words for those feelings and really try to f- feel into each other's feelings in the group. And um, if we can just temporarily put the question of action to one side, it 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 helps reduce. It, it, in a strange way, it helps reduce anxiety because people are less likely to worry about am I going to be judged because I haven't done this or I deleting meat or whatever it might be um and um and then or or indeed less likely to let their own kind of judgmental feelings come to the surface and you know if if you have a vegan in the group and there's somebody who's deleting meat there can be kind of tensions around that if you don't say we're not here to talk about this we're just here to talk about your feelings that can be really quite powerful and then of course you know you, you you, it's only a temporary space and you come back to the question of what action do you want to take mm. afterwards, separately and I think that can be really really helpful for people I, so I'm going to reassess well I'm going to think about tweaking about the kind of messages that I give because I, I do perhaps perhaps I do bang the whole anxiety to agency drum too hard maybe um, but I, there, the session that I did with the University of East Anglia for their project change did include getting to terms with your feelings first. So uh, I worked with um, another ex- student of mine, uh, Emma Lindsay, um, uh, who did the body. We called it we called it climate anxiety, uh, mind, body, and soul. So uh, Kate Russell, Dr. Kate Russell, who from the University of East Anglia. Uh, she did the whole mind thing, talking about what it is, you know, how to center yourself, you know, d- coming to terms with anxiety. And then Emma did some embodied movement about kind of things, how to use nature to kind of um, make powerful movements with your body and get tuned with nature. And then my bit about soul was now that you've come to terms with your anxiety, if you want to do something, here's the kind of things you, you here's how you go about taking action so not as you've got to do this you've got to do that you should do that you should give up me it's more of a case of assessing where you are how what are your capabilities what are your desires what are your capabilities what what are the easy wins what is what are the unrealistic things that you can put aside so if you can bring in one vegetarian meal a week that's a win you know you're not like change your diet completely or um if you can't take action at home because perhaps home life is not conducive to challenging your parents or your guardians to make changes, shall we say, well, that's probably the nice way to put it. Then are there other things that you could possibly do? Like, like have a run a discussion conversation group at school. So it's, it's more about assessing the things that you can do rather than worrying about the things that you can't do. Um, so yeah, um, it's, uh, it's, and it's, it's really, really lovely. And, Again, it worked really well because it's collaborative, you know, so between yeah. myself, Emma and Kate and the UEA. It sounds great. It sounds great. There, there was, I, want, I, wanted to, to, I wanted to mention something that happened in a climate cafe I was doing today, actually. Oh. Um, which was that um, people, was, people were talking about what helps with their climate distress. Um, and uh, we got to one person and she said, yeah, I'm not sure I want to say what helps because there are loads of things that used to help that don't help anymore. Um, and they were kind of small actions and um, and uh, just kind of flying the flag, that kind of thing. Um, and she said that, some, that those things used to be really helpful for really good coping and helpful in themselves and in align, you know, aligning her values with her actions and so on. But she said that now, and this is, I think, how this is what's coming up now, I think, in, in relation to... The, the increased intensity of how people seem to me to be feeling is, um, well, a, a much stronger feeling of helplessness and a much stronger feeling of, is it, you know, really, is it worth it? Um, it can, you know, am I really doing anything worth doing? Now, I'm not saying I agree with that perspective, but it is how she felt. Um, it's what it's. I was what what made what it made me think of is, um, if if we if we've um, continuously relied on those th- those sorts of things which are very good in themselves but we haven't allowed space for our feelings it's going to be much harder as we get to the point where those those traditional mechanisms are not 
are not cutting it anymore for us. Um, and so that's where I think the um, the just putting aside actions and focusing on feelings can be really, really helpful. I think some of the people who've, who've spoken about how what things have helped them when they talked about their their anxiety, it, it manifested itself in different ways like um, uh, eat, disordered eating where uh, the yes I'm going to be vegan I'm going to not have any plastic and then on a student budget not having enough money to buy things and not being able to eat feeling like you couldn't eat and so there's all those sort of things and then that was you know that oh that's my own thinking oh this is my own uh my own problem but actually it's come from the whole system that we're in kind of thing isn't it and the, um yeah so, so, so the thing that would help was sort of acknowledging that okay this is um climate anxiety the you know finding things that help yourself but um so we offer um, a course on uh, mindfulness and active hope, which is based on a book by uh, Chris Johnston and Joanna Macy. Um, and that has uh, techniques for uh, building, building, looking after yourself and sustaining yourself in this mess that we're in of the, of the world kind of thing. Um, and it's... Um, I suppose there's a model there of the spiral um, where you're, it's a process that you're sort of, you're in, it's, it, it has been drawn as a sort of dandelion where you've got the roots, the stem going up um, and the flower and the um, little seeds going around. So you're kind of acknowledging the feelings um, and I can't remember all of this, but you but Rebecca probably knows. But the, the, I was just thinking when you were saying about the action and thing, that's the going forth. But it might you're going forth at the end with the seeds going. It could be um, at this point, what you need for yourself could be just I need to look after myself and have a, a break or make a cup of tea or, you know, um, look after, you know, whatever it is. Or I might be going out and doing but finding your thing that nourishes you that also is part of the whole the whole community you know it, it all we all it all connects to each other what we're all doing that, that community thing is such a key part of it isn't it this is that um we are not that, that for somebody who's struggling with climate distress often they feel that they've got to hold all the responsibility for themselves so if they you know if they're drinking cow's milk rather than oat milk or um, not going to as many demonstrations as they would like or whatever the things they feel they're failing to do it's all somehow it's like it's been privatized onto that individual which is a, a, a bad place to be and I think the active hope process is in it's a group process like climate cafes and people support each other um, feel into each other's feelings um, understand that they're not alone um, it doesn't get rid of the distress, but it, it helps people to feel they're not alone with it. Both of those processes do that. Um, and I love the spiral in Active Hope. And there's a lot of similarities with climate cafes. Essentially, what a climate cafe is doing is the is part of the Active Hope process, which is a kind of witnessing, witnessing your feelings with each other, witnessing your pain. Um, and through that, people learn maybe to see things differently. That's what Active Hope suggests. Seeing with new eyes, they call it. And then the going forth is, as Caroline says, it's the action stage and it's what am I going to do? And it doesn't have to be much, you know, it is taking out the, taking out the seeing with new eyes into the, into yeah. the world. So, okay. Yeah. So I could see it's that kind of daffodil kind of thing going forth and it's, you, you know, with folks, when you blow on it and it goes, all the seeds get spread. So it's like that kind of thing, the spreading of the seeds of that daffodil bloom. Yeah. yeah so we start off with gratitude because that's when we or gratitude or appreciation of what we appreciate ourselves in our life um and that's it's useful to start there because that's where you're um you're more likely to know about your feelings and and, and get in tune with them i suppose and mm. you'll think about the little dog smiling at you or yeah. whatever it is. <laughs> and i don't want to spend 
mega amounts of time on this, but of course, it it just goes to show how destructively successful the powers that be, you know, the the fossil fuel industries, you know, and their campaign of putting it on us has been, and whether they, I mean, I I don't know, but whether they knew it was going to cause such a impact on our mental well-being as well i don't know you know some cynics may say yes they would have known this would happen some people said no they, this is an unintended consequence of their actions but it's all part of the greater system which is which is just unsustainable because and i remember it was um an independent movie that was made oh, would it have been about 15 years ago or so now called the age of stupid um oh, yeah. which is amazing and folks it's still relevant today uh yeah. it is an incredible, incredible um, movie. I strongly recommend you watch it. And um, the one cartoon bit that I always used to play in class to the kids was this little skit and talked about, well, you can't content- have continually growth in a capitalist society because continuous growth on a, a continuous expansion on a never expanding planet is just, you know, and then it's and the analogy was um, a growing kid on a space hopper just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and the Earth is the space hopper, and eventually the space hopper just goes like that. Um, so yeah, and it's the system that feeds that. Um, and one more thing before we move on as well is that I this is why I'm a strong advocate of framing climate change as a school safeguarding issue, um, because in school statutory guidance with safeguarding it talks about um one of the risk factors for poor mental health in in kids is and it says it in the statue guidance guidance disasters war or other overwhelming events well if that doesn't sum up climate change i don't know what is and so when you've got the robust and unequivocal climate science plus the fact that we've got studies like you know we all've got those studies that talk that eco anxiety climate anxiety is real um, plus the fact that you've got this statutory safeguarding guidance, this means that schools should be acting. And I love what you were saying, both of you. One of the ways that they can do this and create a safe environment for their students and, and deal with this issue through a safeguarding lens is make sure they've got that sense of community, that sense of belonging, that they are able to talk about it. Perhaps every school should have their own climate cafe. I bet you'd love to see that. Yeah, and it's... um. This that's quite a challenge for teachers, I think, isn't it? Um, there's the there's the whole question of um, what is how safeguarding is defined, um, and the the, the polarisation that we're experiencing now around you know what the, the about the levels of acceptance of of the climate science, um, and it seems to me that for teachers, there's a need for them to be able to. Um, kind of sit with the distress because otherwise they'll be constantly trying to shut it down and that will make that is likely to make things worse and I think I'd love to hear from both of you about um, how climate science is taught in schools and what children are kind of left with if there isn't a place for them to share their responses to it um, and if that is because teachers are not really in a position to do that you know partly because of pressures of curriculum and all the rest of it but also maybe because of their own stuff that it's it's somehow not it may not feel acceptable so what what do we do what do we do about teachers as well as about children yeah that you nailed it really um because that is quite a lot of my freelance work is supporting teachers about how to teach climate change how to teach the science getting students and teachers climate literate as i call it that's part of my job and it's amazing i feel it's incredible that even though i mostly work with geography teachers you know who are who would have the level of experience expertise and knowledge to teach these well you know i would assume to teach these things quite effectively but when i run these courses it's amazing how many of them actually feel very anxious about teaching it and that they're not doing good enough job or it's all doom and gloom it's it is so tricky you're right and you you hit the nail on the head rebecca when you said about the pressures of getting through the curriculum and one thing that and, and the good and the bad thing, it's a double-edged sword, is that climate change as is an issue permeates throughout everything. It is an intersectional issue. You know, no matter what you're teaching, if you're teaching natural hazards, then climate change is exacerbating the, the impacts of natural hazards and it's causing 
communities to not able to adapt and become climate resilient so you, you can't really talk, teach about natural hazards without teaching climate change economic development well because of our globalized society where we get things coming in from different parts climate change having an impact on where things don't grow and whether you know and then what about transport infrastructure so you can't get away from climate change now and and so the teacher is feeling anxious where they're thinking to themselves well how am I going to put climate change in throughout the curriculum? Because I want to, because it's an important issue without becoming, oh, what lesson are you going to next? Are we going to climate change? You know, I'm still want to teach geography. So it is, it is tough. Um, I don't have all the answers, although I, I have, I can give advice and expertise, but it's, it, it's definitely a collective effort amongst the geography um, teaching community in particular, in the science teacher community about, about trying to get this right. But, one thing we can't get away from and one thing i always say is that we can't get away from the fact and the language that scientists themselves are using when they are starting to use language like unequivocal which is very strong and powerful in scientific literature when they use words like that um then you have to teach the truth you can't not teach the truth so how do you do that without instilling anxiety yeah it's yeah. hard it is really hard i mean i don't know that you can do it without instilling anxiety i think there has to you know the, the climate distress is a reaction to reality it's a reaction to as um as we were saying earlier the, the inconvenient truth the difficult truth um and it's like um it's that what what i think teachers need is is Partly it's support for their own climate distress because geography teachers, seems to me, must have kind of occupational hazard, of, <laughs> I think. Um, and, um, and to be able to allow children to be distressed, um, but, to, but to hold it, you know, not to, not to put it away, but also not to intensify it or leave children feeling alone with it. Um, and it's, I, it's not, it's, I, I don't have answers either. I just, um, I just don't see how we can talk about this at all if we have constantly got to step around anxiety. Yeah, no, it's so, which is why the work that you both are doing is so, so important where, and you're right, you're right. It's something I'm going to reflect on myself a bit more is making sure we can separate the whole, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And the anxiety, and okay, let's, let's come to peace with our anxiety first. Not, not get rid of it necessarily, come to peace with it, learn to live with it, you know, a bit like I learned to live with my gender dysphoria, just circling right back to what you said at the very start. Hi folks, a chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. Let us let us transition to that wasn't a pun. <laughs> let, let us transition. Let us transition onto something environmental, but a little bit more let, let you feel good, you know, feel good. Um and and Caroline and Rebecca, I'd love to get your input on this. So I'm going to um, play a little clip of um, episode uh, where I spoke to the actor Adil Hussain, who said something amazingly profound about his experience um, with connecting to nature. And this is what Adil said. Um, so one of the stories I remember that I was working myself with a jack, jackfruit tree and I was, after four hours of, um, you know, uh, uninterrupted work, uh, which led me to a very deep space of consciousness and, uh, and si solitude and silence and quietude. I don't know how to say, not very profound, but the experience was so profound. The only thing which came to my mind after four hours that, oh my God, uh, this tree is my greatest grandmother, means not grandmother or grand-grandmother, but the primordial grandmother. Right. And who is ready to feed me and who is ready to allow me to climb, to smell, to feel, to hug, to cut, to chop, to eat the fruits, you know, to make anything I would like 
so so sacrificing, so giving, so um, I'm all embracing grandmother, greatest, as I said, the primordial grandmother is willing to sacrifice itself for my well-being. Wow. That's just, yeah, wow. Uh, oh. what was your, what's your initial reaction? I could see you both beaming. Um, Caroline, what was, how did that make you feel? Yeah, that was amazing. I was because I I was um, I was saying that I love trees and I and that trees have created our oxygen and that we you know we what they keep us warm. They they keep they, we can they feed us. They can regrow and the seeds and all this sort of thing. But that was just even more profound, wasn't it? So yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It really was. It, it made me think of um, the feelings of um, the feelings of being like a little child that I get when I am with trees. Um, you know that that a tree can hold me and support me, and I can lean on it and um, and and kind of connect with it. And it's um, there's this there were a couple of psychological concepts that it reminded me of. The first is um, uh, a thing called containment, which is about uh, if you have a feeling that it's too much for one person to manage, to bring it into the relationship between you and somebody else can really help it to become manageable. And um, I think trees can do that for people as well as other people doing it for people. Um, and the other thing it reminds me of is, of course, one of the things that we struggle with as a species about the climate crisis is that it brings us in touch with our the facts of our dependence on the the world and trees i think being working with trees being with trees can can remind you of that in a in a really helpful way you know it this that that sense of being like a little child is is profoundly important and and um transformative that if people can do that and and that idea of the greatest grandmother is like that kind of writ large in the sky (laughs) i love it I, I, that conversation I had with it, it just left me speechless. Um, and it only had, I only had to come to an end when his wife told him that he had to go, you know, cause <laughs> he was sitting there drinking a Psalm tea. It was, it was, it was delightful. Um, I'm going to, let's, let's play a little, a little game. Let's see how many we can get. Right. Because I think one way to really demonstrate the point, especially the wonderful point that you've just made Rebecca as well is to, is how, how we as humans have incorporated trees into our culture and into our language so tree analogies tree saying based on trees right so if i start with one let's see how many we can come up between us so the saying um uh roots roots and all you know oh i've i've dealt with that roots and all so to me, you know, I've not just kind of dealt with the issue. I've not just tidied up the living room. Oh, I've done a, I've done a completely dust. I've done a hoover. I've done it, you know, roots and all. So there you go. There's one. So can you folks think of uh, any Hold other on, the tree? Apple, the apple doesn't far, tr- fall far from the tree. The <laughs> apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yep. So a root and branch review. Root and branch um, review. So doing, yep. doing doing the background as well as the as well as the what we can see. Yeah, a thorough review. Yeah, looking through the yeah. background of things that could, yeah. Uh, what else? Um, <laughs> There's loads probably, aren't there? Uh, the root of the problem. Oh, yeah. um, getting to the root of the problem. So you're not just, yeah, you're trying to figure out what's the cause, not just to deal with the symptoms. Yeah. Um, oh, fa- family tree. Obviously. Of course. Of course. Yeah. What about, uh, what, um, what about, leaves there must be there must be idioms that relate to leaves oh, oh this um, must be listeners hmm. write in <laughs> send a postcard too <laughs> well isn't i mean where does the term leaflet come from i mean is that is it coincidental or is it something to do with leaves because it's did they used to, did you used to write something on a leaf and pass it around or something i don't know or it's how interesting yeah the idea that leaves have been have become part of literacy and and the development of of language and writing and communication because of course that is what they do isn't it right okay um 
Oh, you can't see the wood for the trees or can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. 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 Um, right. Uh, I can't think of any more. I've run out. I've run, I've run dry. This... Uh, uh, what, what this is doing for me is bringing is just just uh, I've got in my I've got in my mind um, an image of a of a forest I was in recently, and the forest is the forest is the important thing, and I'm struggling to bring it back to idioms. You know, <laughs> I can tell you about the forest if you like, but but that's not the game. So <laughs> I thought we'd just have a bit of fun, a bit of a, a bit of a laugh. <laughs> yeah. So I. That's right, Carol. We we won't tell everybody that you're looking something up. So it's, it's a podcast; no one can see. Googling, true metaphors. Yeah. What have you found? It helped yeah, very well. What, what have you found? Um, branches of government you can have branch. Oh yeah, yeah. Branches and uh, we did talk about family tree already, didn't we? But yeah, um, that's this is so deep rooted problems. Yeah, deep rooted. Oh, deep rooted problems. Yeah. Um, I suppose I don't. I don't know if that's where it comes from, but I'm stumped. You know, when you say you're stumped. <laughs> Offshoot. Offshoot. Yeah. Going out on a limb. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But that's metaphor in itself, isn't it? Because yeah. we have limbs as well. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. Okay, I don't know why I'm doing this whole dance with my arms, everybody. But <laughs> if you can't, we can't see. Okay, right. That was quite fun. Um, okay, so that's pretty good. And if anybody listening, if you think of any more, you know, you, uh, Twitter hashtag at Coffee Jog Pod, you know, tag us in and tell us a little bit more of your tree or, or plant idioms, please. Okay, um, right. Two last things before we finish for the for the evening, then, and that is um, we're going to spill the beans. Well, I, I sometimes say quirky about yourselves, but it's not really quirky. You know, it's just something about you that people might not know. But, um, Carol, I'll start with you um, first. So, apparently, you have a love for knitting. Well, it's, yeah, I just, I got into it in lockdown, actually. Well, I, I'm no lie. I used to knit when I was very, when I was 18, I, I was knitting because I remember um, knitting in a, an airport um on the way to Germany and I was asked where what was I doing there and I said I was knitting you know out in German (laughs) you know I was in the wrong I was in the wrong waiting room I think and I was just knitting and they said what's fucking sie da and I said stricken (laughs) 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 you know this but um yeah then I, I didn't do any for a long time until lockdown and I thought um I was in a craft. Oh, sorry, I was in a, a well-being thing where it was art and craft, and somebody else was knitting. I said, "Well, why don't I try that again?" So I, I re- relearned it. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not as, as amazing or anything, but yeah, I just yeah, it was quite nice to sort of knit knit something, a scarf or something like that. My um my wife's taken up uh, crocheting actually, and we have um crocheted mostly studio ghibli characters like totoros and no face and things like that um, we, this is an anime series because my kids love it but this this is i'm showing on the camera this is a crocheted homer simpson from oh, an ex-student of mine it, it was a present that she gave to me um so thanks for being my teacher so uh sort of crocheted knitting. That's, that's really, really nice. sweet i know oh. <laughs> so um and uh your uh spill the beans rebecca it's like um, TV box sets, especially ones that showcase horrible, glamorous people like Succession. <laughs> Tell us. Succession, yeah, yeah. Um, I do. I, it's an absolute a fantastic guilty pleasure. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, I, I, also lo- I also enjoyed The Night Manager, um, you know, the one with Hugh Laurie. And, um, and, and they were all very glamorous and they were in these beautiful settings and things. And it's just absolute escapism. Um, but the one I'm watching at the moment is the Lazarus Project, uh, which is about the end of the world and finding ways to prevent the end of the world through time travel. Ah. It's, and that's escapism too. You know, it's mm. like, oh yes, this is this is um, this is talking about the bad things that are happening in the world. But it's okay because we can just go back in time and fix it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Star Trek and fantasy nerd, so um, I definitely feel comfort, like especially Star Trek, which is like a constant commentary on current is- current affairs and current issues. <laughs> and like just hitting the nail on the head so um i've done i've done previous chats about 
Star Trek. I'm not going to go off it again. Um, great. Thanks for sharing that uh, that little tidbit about you, you, you both. Okay. Final thing then. Final thing. In. Let's link you to wonderful people uh, to the previous Coffee and Geography podcast guest, which was um, Alexis Barn. So Alexis Barn is uh, someone who was raised by wolves. Um, yeah, she was, right? Uh, and if you're going, what, Kit? What? That's amazing. Go and listen to the previous episode. But um, when we did the uh, We Are All Geographers to link, uh, using a word to link our guests together, she would like you two to talk about the word commitment. So commitment. So the, the trick is, is because there's two of you, I'm going to give you 20 seconds each to just talk about the word commitment it could be the first thing that comes to your mind. It could be something related to what we've chat about today. It could be anything you like. What does the word commitment mean to you? And once you two have done that, you're going to come up with a word for next week's guests. So the, the question really is, is who would like to go first? <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a connection with commitment. So when you're ready, Rebecca, I will start the timer. And then at 20 seconds, Caroline will take over. Okay, so my connection with the word commitment is the film The Commitments, the book by, oh. <laughs> by Roddy Doyle. Um, so what and what that's about, of course, is this very specific place. Um, it's about the those working class kids growing up in Ireland and finding a way to um, express themselves and, and and maybe kind of come out of their background by um, by through music of a kind which was also about helping people to escape from. Uh, uh, oppression okay. and, and difficulty. Okay, we switch to Caroline. My link to commitment is um, that I will do what I promise to do. So I commit myself to things, I, uh, and that can sometimes tie me up in knots and may make me seem a bit cautious to begin with when people ask me about things. And I do like to make sure that I have got that ability, or that I will, you know, when I when I say I'm going to do something, I, I will do it. So I do commit myself, although, um, yeah. Uh, time's up. Yeah, it's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you both. Thank you for that little thing there. Right. So um, for next week's guests, then, um, I'd like you two to come up with a word, a single word, that they will do the same thing. They will, they will riff for, usually it's for 30 seconds. So let's have a little bit of a brainstorm. What do we think? Is it going to be something related to our chat? I was. I've got this postcard um, on my desk uh, in front of me, and it's um, it's the it's a sculpture by Anthony Gormley, and I don't. Sorry, can you see? I'm. I've turned my yeah. self view off, so I can't see whether I'm got it. In could, the right place. Yep, we can see. It's yep. a baby. It's called Iron Baby, and I. So the word baby came to mind as a as a a thing to offer to the next guest. Baby. Caroline, do you do you concur? Should we go I, with baby? I, yeah, I like that. I like the the, the child pose, isn't it? It's child. Yeah, pose. the yoga child pose. It was, yeah. a, it was a very protective and restful pose, almost. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So yeah, I don't mind if it's. <laughs> we'll go with baby. We actually, we actually, ha I think, I th did we have yoga before as a word? I can't remember now. I've done so many of these things. Right. <laughs> so the word is baby. Well. Oh, what a lovely, lovely chat. Um, okay, so last last thing for us to do is say any shout-outs you want to say hi to. So I guess we'll say again hi to uh, Freddie Reynolds and the and the climate uh, and people and culture team at the University of East Anglia who do a fantastic job keeping all this stuff going and logistics and motivation, motivating all that lot. So hi, Freddie. Hi, team. Uh, I'll see you in the office soon. <laughs> would uh, Caroline, would you like to say hi to anybody? Um, I'll say hi to... All the students are coming to the Climate Cafe that's going yes. to be happening on the 6th of July. <laughs> 6th of July, everybody. 6th of July. Yep. If you're at the UEA, come to a, the Climate Cafe. I'm facilitating there with me. So, yeah, 3.30 <laughs> on 6th. So, it's great to see anybody. Wonderful. Rebecca? I would like to have a shout out to Ruth Taylor, Caroline's colleague at Norfolk and Waverly, Waverly Mind, who is um, who was the originator and <laughs> motivator and inspiration behind this project so, oh yeah yeah and I did, I did think of saying that as well but i thought I said and ruth thank you so so much for you know putting me in contact with with these two wonderful people it's been absolutely wonderful getting to know them and i hope i, hope I get to see 
see you both uh, in the flesh soon. Caroline, probably sooner rather than later. And um, that'd be absolutely amazing. And I believe you both have a, a Twitter handle. So if anybody wants to connect with what you're doing, let's just see if I remember this. So Rebecca, you are at Rebecca Climate. Is that right? I am. And there's also at Climate Cycle, which is Climate Psychology Alliance. Wonderful. And for for you, Caroline, I guess it's the uh, the Norfolk um, Waveney Mind. So I think that was at Norfolk Mind, I believe. I think so, yeah. And then there's at Cas Fernandez is my, my one. At Cas Fernandez. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much for um, a wonderful, deep, insightful, but also fun conversation both. I've really enjoyed um, this afternoon, this evening. And uh, as I say, I hope to get to see you soon. Thank you, Kit. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you, Kit. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod send us a dm or you could email coffee and jog at geogramblings.com until next time keep jogging